Now, Father, would you speak to us from your word? Lord God, would you use me, your servant? My uh, goal today is to not change anybody. Again, I can't even change myself. That's your business. And I pray that the seed of your word would fall on good ground, that it would take root, that it would produce great fruit among us. For that person here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, would you save souls? Would you add to your church? Would you change lives? In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your devices, please take them out and click on your Bible apps. Uh, Meet me in Galatians chapter 5. As you're turning there, just want to make you aware of a couple books that we have in our resource center. Uh, We are an equipping church. This is not an attractional model church where you just kind of come to see a person. Um, Hopefully you've come to see uh, Jesus. uh, But we do want to get some tools in your hand. Uh, Many of you are here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Uh, You... Uh, are just open, you're exploring. I think one of the best books that I could recommend to you, it's actually found in our bookstore, um, is a book called The Reason for God, written by Tim Keller. And so I want to encourage you um, to um, steward your intellect well by exploring deeply uh, plausible reasons for God. Uh, this is also good for Christians as well, as it'll help you to uh, be able to give a defense for the hope that lies within. Then this classic, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. I had 5,000 books in my library till we moved to New York and my wife made me give them away. And, um, but there was only a handful I would read repeatedly, and one of those was Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It talks about what the Christian life is all about. Again, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. The same guy who wrote The, Narnia, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, wrote this book as well. It is a wonderful book for you to dive into. Galatians 5, this is my favorite chapter in the book of Galatians. Uh, here we go. guy who wrote this, his name is Paul. Paul says these words, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again, verse 3, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law... You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the law has been removed. Excuse me, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, verse 13, verse 12 is the strongest words Paul ever wrote. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I don't say this to be gratuitous. Here's Paul. He's been talking about uh, circumcision and how useless it is. He's saying, for those who are saying you should be circumcised, I wish they would castrate themselves. That's exactly what he's saying in verse 12. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
through love, 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 serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And, if you are, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its, with its passions and desires. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Galatians 5, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many of us have seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption. If you have not seen it, your life is lacking. And I'm not trying to hear any nonsense about, please, pastor, don't give it away. It came out in the mid-90s. In fact, you know my rule around here. You get two weeks... Uh, to see a movie. I won't use any illustrations the first two weeks. After that, it is public domain. It is fair game. Uh, So it's by grace that you haven't heard any Wakanda illustrations. But in this movie, The Shawshank Redemption, we are introduced to a a character by the name of Brooks. Uh, Brooks is a sweet, tender, elderly gentleman who has spent some 50-plus years of his life incarcerated in jail. Now, we all know jail is no walk in the park, and I'm not trying to posture it as such, but, but there are some, some things that when you spend that amount of time in jail that, that can become comforting. For example, for the 50-plus years Brooks has been in jail, not once has he had to think about such things as, where will I sleep? Or how will I provide my lodging? He hasn't had to think about what will he eat for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or, or how will he be able to afford those items. He hasn't had to think about um, the next day's agenda. That's already been taken care of. But finally, after 50 plus years in this, in this film, Brooks is released from incarceration. He is a, he's emancipated. He's free. And what you now see is a man who is tragically overwhelmed by his freedoms. He now has to deal with issues he never had to de- deal with before. Where, where will he work? How will he afford lodging? Where will he lodge? Where will he stay? What, what will he eat? And, and, and one of the things that's so masterful is you see this man who is overwhelmed by his freedoms to the point where he literally takes his life. I think one of the subtle messages 
of the Shawshank Redemption, it taps into a truism to this life, and that is freedom can be overwhelming. And how we navigate our freedoms can be a matter of life and death. This is what Paul does when he comes to our passage. If you're new with us, we've been walking through the book of Galatians. All this year, I'm playing one note, and it is the gospel. We've been talking about the gospel and how the gospel says that, yes, I am profoundly needy. Yes, I am completely helpless. Yes, I am deeply loved. And at the same time, I am fully embraced. That the truth of the gospel can be seen in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while, while, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My favorite word in, the, in Romans 5, 8, isn't God, isn't demonstrated, isn't loved as powerful as those words are. It is the word while. While. That the beauty of the gospel is God doesn't wait for Brian to get his act together before he saves me. But as Tim Keller says, he sees us as is, accepts us as is, loves us as is, saves us as is, yet by his grace never leaves us as is. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while, while, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In just a few moments, I'm going to give a call for salvation. Here's what you need to know. God doesn't wait for you to clean up your act before he'll save you. If you could clean it up before he'd save you, you wouldn't need a savior. But the fact that you can't clean it up is the whole reason why you need a savior. This is the beauty of the gospel. We are all sinners in need of a holy, loving God. Everyone up in here, up in here, from the preacher on the pulpit to the last person in the last chair in the last row of this church, we are all in desperate need of a Savior. So now we're talking about the gospel, and next week we're going to finish up Galatians, and then the rest, uh, going up until the time I I leave for summer break at the end of June, we're going to talk about the implications of the gospel, that that we understand, as my friend J.D. Greer says, that the gospel is not just the diving board, but it is the pool, the waters that we swim in. So now we're going to talk about the practical applications. When I understand that God has forgiven me of every sin that I've ever committed, am committing, and will ever commit, then guess what? I need to be a forgiving Christian. I can't hear you. If I've been forgiven, I need to be forgiving. These are the implications of the gospel. So we're going to talk about these things. But here is Paul. The whole letter, he's been putting a full court press on legalism. And now in chapter 5, it is as if he's saying, I want to turn the tables... And talk about freedom. You're no longer bound. You're no longer enslaved. Which means if you're in Christ, you're free. Christians should be some of the freest people on the planet. We should walk in freedom. In fact, there's so many non-Christians. In fact, some of you are here today and you're non-Christians. You're turned off by Christians. And unfortunately, we've given you good reason to be turned off. Because we're living lives enslaved to rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. That is so not sexy. We're free. 
In fact, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Will you look at it with me? He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Literally, in the Greek, the language Paul's writing in, it reads stronger. It reads in the Greek, for freedom, Christ freed you. I love that. What he's saying in the original language Greek, he posits freedom as both a noun and a verb, which means that freedom is both the destination and the means to the Christian life. God emancipated you. He redeemed you. And a part of what it means to be a Christian is, I stand firm in the freedom that God has supplied through Jesus Christ. But freedom can be a complicated thing. It was the great African theologian many, many, many centuries ago, Augustine, who bequeathed to us this very jolting remark. Make note of it. If Augustine had Twitter back then, this thing would have went viral Augustine said, love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. That's a troubling statement, isn't you? Isn't it? At the end of the day, it is a statement of Christian freedom. But the more you think about it, what Augustine is saying, if you love God, then you want to do what pleases him. If you love God, there is this merger of, of desire. There is this merger of what I please now becomes what pleases him. So I exist for his pleasure. So for me to love God and do as I please, that's not a license to sin. It is a license to glorify God with all of my mind, body, soul, and actions. But nonetheless, Christian freedom is very problematic. I want to unpack this to you. This is probably the most pastoral word I can give to you. Because what you need to understand is much of the Christian life is lived in the gray. So much of how we navigate life, there is not a, a verse that speaks to all the meticulous intricacies of the Christian life. So how do we navigate this? How do we steward our freedoms well so that our freedoms do not overwhelm us? So, for example, many of you are here today and you, you're, you're working out in the marketplace, you've been killing it, and you get an incredible bonus. Of course, we understand what the Word says, that, that you should tithe off of that. That's clear. Common sense would say that I should save some of that bonus, but you, you do both of those things and you realize I still have a significant amount left over. What, what do I do with that? In some sense, you're free. The Bible doesn't give you all of these details as it relates to what to do with every penny that God entrusts to you. So, so what do you do with that? Do you buy a second home? Do you go out and buy a Tesla, or Mercedes, BMW, whatever it may be? And since you're free to do that, maybe there's a little angst in you in which you go, yeah, yeah, I could do that, but what about all the poor people and the suffering and the hurting that is out, that is out there? What, what do I do? See the gray area there? How do I navigate these freedoms? Speaking of cars, here I am as a pastor, and there is no verse that says pastors shall not drive a Mercedes or a BMW or a Tesla or an Audi or whatever it may be. So in some sense, I'm free to pull up on this parking lot in whatever I want to drive. But just because I can, does it mean I should? 
how do I navigate this? Some of you all, I mean, you won't find a verse in scripture that says ladies shall not wear yoga pants to church. You won't find that verse. Does it mean you should? Some of you have strong thoughts on that. How do I navigate that freedom? Some of you are here today and you're single. The scriptures are clear. We're not to have sex outside of marriage. We're clear on that. But, but how far is too far? And can we hold hands? And what about kissing? And, and, and physical... How, how, the, the scriptures just don't say. So how do I navigate that freedom? Well, my wife and I, we throw a big party at our house. We invite people over. Many of them we don't know, let's say. And we don't know their journeys. We don't know their struggles. We don't know their weaknesses. So do we just serve alcohol? After all, there's not a verse in the scriptures that says thou shalt not drink. But we've got that freedom, but just because we can doesn't mean we should. Do you understand here that that how we navigate Christian freedom is a significant deal to God? Our scripture is all about how to navigate Christian freedom. In fact, I love this. I I, I just want to do a fly over it now. Look at verses 13 to 15. We'll come back in just a few minutes and we'll go a lot deeper. But beginning in verse 13, Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. I love this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love, 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 love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All of us right now, or I guess most of us right now, uh, our cars are sitting in the parking lot or on the side of a street somewhere, and, 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 and our cars, in a sense, are free. We can go 100 miles an hour, 120 miles an hour, 140 miles an hour, 160 miles an hour. We're, we're free, in a sense, to drive as fast as we want. But you and I understand that when we get on the freeway, there's what's called a speed limit. That speed limit fundamentally says that just because, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So we're putting a speed limit, our government, our, our government says, because we understand you're not driving that car in isolation. You're driving it in community. And we're concerned that unless there is a regulated speed limit, if you drive to that car's freedom capacity, you will do irreparable damage, not just to yourself, but to other drivers around you. You don't drive in isolation. You drive in community. Likewise, I'm calling this sermon the speed limit of, of, of freedom. Paul gives us the speed limit of freedom in our text. He says it is love. That just as I drive my car in community, my freedoms are to be exercised in the context of community. In other words, my freedoms are never about my freedoms. It is how do I steward my freedoms in such a way to where I don't bite and devour one another. That I don't destroy community. It is the epitome of biblical immaturity for a person to develop spiritual myopia and think it's all about me. So I can wear what I want to wear on the praise team. I can dress however I want to dress and come to church. If you're at my house, I can serve whatever I want to serve. It's my house, my freedom. 
Paul says that is out of bounds. There is a speed limit to freedom, and it's called love. Our text, we're going to learn three things today about freedom. Let me give you the table of contents. Number one, Paul's going to begin in the opening 12 verses by simply saying, don't lose your freedom. Verses 13 to 15, he's going to say, don't abuse your freedom. And then verses 16 to 26, he's going to say, here's how to use your freedom. First, he begins by saying, don't lose your freedom. Look at verse 2. He says in verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He goes on to say in verse 4, strong words, you who are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Here's Paul. He's come and he's preached the gospel to the Galatians. He's told them that you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. He has preached the good gospel of grace. They have drunk the 200 proof gospel of grace. But in his wake now comes a group of religious people. They are legalists under the label of Christianity. They're called the Judaizers. And they start whispering in the ear of the Galatians, Hey, you need to know Paul didn't tell you the whole truth. You must now add to the finished work of Jesus Christ the works of the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to do these things. Paul now writes the book of Galatians, and in essence, what he is saying in our text is, adding to Christ actually subtracts from Christ. That Christ plus anything equals nothing, but Christ plus nothing equals everything. You are sufficient in Christ alone. So we've been making note all throughout this series that this stuff actually still happens today, that Somehow, some way, I feel like I've got to run to quiet times and giving statements and serving opportunities and missions opportunities, kind of as hand sanitizer for my soul. Instead, you need to understand we don't work for God's approval. We work from God's approval. That God already says of us what he said to Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. God's pleased with you. Rest in that child of God. Rest in it. You can't do anything to make him turn his back on you. The fact that you've had an abortion doesn't make God give up on you. As far as the east is from the west. It's as far as I have removed your sins. God's not upstairs in heaven keeping count on the amount of people you've slept with. It's covered under the blood. Do you believe what we just sang? Jesus paid not most of it, not part of it, but Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Never get so grown in your faith in which you think God's credit card has no limits. We are sufficient in Christ. We are sufficient in Christ. Now, look again at verse 4. These are strong words. 
He says, when you go the route of rules and regulations and you try to supplement what Christ already did for you, for you on the cross, he says, you're actually now severed from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. You know that phrase? We, we've used that tragically wrong. We've used it to speak of people who sin greatly. We use of some minister who maybe committed some act of immorality. We say of them, fallen away from grace. That's not how it's used. It's used of self-righteous, legalistic people who think that they are better than others because of their performance. That's the one who's fallen away from grace. It's the one with the biggest Bible. Who's basing their self-righteousness on their Bethmore bobblehead doll. I love Beth Moore, by the way. You go the route of rules, you're severing yourself from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. Paul says, don't do that. There was a man once who had never gone on a cruise before. He had a good friend of his who knew about this, and this friend loved him, and he wanted to bless him one day. So his friend called up this guy and says, look, I understand you've never been on a cruise before. I want to bless you big time. My wife and I have paid for you to go on a cruise. This man is blown away by it. And a couple months later, he packs his bags, boards the ship, goes on a cruise. A week later, his buddy who paid for the cruise calls him. Once he gets back, he says, man, how, how was it? This guy says, man, this thing was off the chain. His buddy says to him, how much weight did you gain? That food was something else, wasn't it? And the guy says, actually, I didn't gain any. His buddy was like, really? You, you didn't partake of that all-night pizza bar or that steakhouse they had? The guy says, actually, no. In fact, right before I got on the cruise to cut down on costs, I, I went to the local grocery store and I bought some groceries and, you know, and I spent the whole cruise just trying to save some money and I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. His buddy channeling his inner Fred Sanford says, you big dummy. Don't you understand that included in the price of the cruise was all of your meals? You were free to partake. How many times do we do that? When we go the way of rules, it's like bringing our groceries to the cross. Not realizing that Jesus paid it all. There's freedom. There's freedom. Now, Paul says, don't lose your freedom. How do I lose my freedom? By going the route of rules and regulations to try to make myself sufficient in Christ. But I love Galatians 5. Because in verse 13, I think for the first time in the letter, Paul says, "Mm, i got to temper this. Up until verse 13, Paul has been putting a full court press on legalism. But now in verse 13, Paul catches himself. It's as if Paul says, I want to be careful here. Because if you don't understand this correctly, it can lead to an abuse of freedom. Where you shrug your shoulders and you go, hey, if he's paid it all, all to him I owe, sent it left to crimson, same, but he's washed it, white as snow, huh? Then who cares? I can eat as much as I want. I can do whatever I want. It's covered, it's covered, it's covered, it's covered. Paul stops. See, what Paul wants us to understand is there's two extremes when it comes to freedom. On one extreme, there's legalism. Rules, 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 and how you dress. And look, I grew up in the Bible Belt. 
And, and, and we didn't just wear any old thing to church. My, my mama was like, I'd argue with my mama. Well, how come I can't wear thus and so? Well, Jesus wants our best. And I'd say, show me that verse in the scriptures. She says, boy, you being disrespectful. It's in there. I can't find it right now, but it's in there. It's in first hesitations. So that's the house I grew up in, right? Any of us grew up in those homes where you, 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 you couldn't wear flip-flops to church. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't wear Crocs. They didn't have all that stuff back then. I mean, that was anathema. The mothers in the church, boy. In fact, if you got out of line, mothers in the church, they had something called switches. Anybody here ever heard of a switch? Ever heard of a switch? See, kids these days, they so soft. They so soft. They get timeouts. We didn't get timeouts back then. Switches. In fact, anybody here ever had to pick your own switch off a tree? I see a lot of chocolate hands going up around the room. and, And I'd come back with a little twig and mama would say, bring me the whole tree. I love my parents, but I grew up in a very rigid, rule-oriented way of life. And I took that to God. I postured God, not as some joyful person who says of me, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, but who is sitting there with a belt in hand, waiting to go upside my head if I did anything wrong. That's not the God of the scriptures. In fact, when our kids were learning to walk, they take a step and another step and we're so excited, and then boom, they'd fall over. Not once did Corey and I go, you idiot! No, there was joy. Let's get back up. Let's, let's try it again. Let's take the picture. I actually think that's how God does with us. When we fall, he's not going, you idiot, let's go upside his head. No, get back up! Paul understands there's one extreme, there's legalism, but the other extreme is license. Look at what he says in verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall let, excuse me, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only, underline this, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Your freedom is not about your freedom. So opposites here, legalism, license. He's now dealing with this this notion where he says, do not abuse your freedom. It's a common issue Paul would deal with. If you've ever read through Paul, you understand that one of the things he talks a lot, and it seems to be very frivolous, he talks a lot about food. In fact, most of the churches Paul planted were multi-ethnic churches. They were churches in which Jews and Gentiles came together. Now, this created some dicey scenarios. Here's Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. Then after church, the Gentile family invites the Jewish family over. The Jewish family sits down and again, staring at them, are ribs. They're insulted. Conflict now ensues. They start going back and forth on food. And the Gentile family is almost as if they're saying, well, hey, look, we're free. We're free in Christ. Have you ever read Acts chapter 10 where God says to Peter, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean? So there's this conflict over freedom. And now Paul sits down and says, here's how you navigate this. 
Another issue Paul deals with is food offered to idols. Back then in Roman society, if you were to go to their grocery stores, if you were to walk into their version of Whole Paycheck, I mean Whole Foods, one of the things that you would see is the produce section. All the meat had been offered to idols. So now there's, there's dinner happening in a home. The family sits down, conversation ensues, and they realize that the food they're eating has been food that's been offered to idols, and, and the family felt free who offered it, but the family didn't feel, feel free to eat it, and now there's this collision, and the collision is over food. I mean, it'd be like me inviting you over to my house, knowing you're a vegan, and I serve steak. And I go, we're free in Christ. Get over it. Grow up. That's an abuse of freedom. That's why here we go, if you seek during communion, we have gluten-free options. And in my flesh, I'm going to be like, that much is going to hurt you? And you study and you go, yeah, some people it will. If you've ever seen the movie Trading Places, one of the funniest scenes in that movie, Trading Places, it's about this inner city urban guy played by, by Eddie Murphy. And then there's these two wealthy guys who want to run this experiment on him. So they give him this house and he walks in the house. He can't believe it. You say, you're trying to tell me all this stuff is mine. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Trying to convince him. And he picks up a vase. This vase is tens of thousands of dollars. He says, you're trying to tell me that? Yeah, yeah, it's yours. You're free to do whatever you want with it. And he takes it and he smashes it on the ground. One of the things that we see is when we're irresponsible with our freedoms, it destroys hurts. As a visual aid, I started to preach with a cigar in my hand. And then I said that that would be a total abuse of what I'm talking about. But imagine I'm up here preaching with a cigar in my hand. It's not lit. I mean, there's no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not smoke cigars. Some of you are, well, well, you got to be careful of that, Pastor, because smoking hurts the temple. Yeah, drinking too much gravy hurts the temple, too. I think that's all the cigar smokers clapping. But there's no verse that says I can't do that. What if I lit the cigar and took a couple drags as I expounded the text? There's no verse that says I can't do that. So in some sense, am I wrong to do it? No, but in other senses, according to what Paul is saying, I'd be absolutely wrong. Because it would offend you. It would be an impediment to what God wants to do. That's exactly what Paul is saying. My freedoms are not about me. I abuse my freedoms when I don't exercise them within the context of love. I told you guys this story before. When my wife and I first got married, we'd go out to, to eat, and I'd enjoy a very occasional glass of wine, and I'm sitting there ordering wine, and my wife would emotionally shut down, and she'd mutter something under her breath on our date night, and she'd say, you know, something like, I wish you wouldn't do that. And, and I'm going, oh, you want to get snarky with me? Well, my spiritual gift is snarkiness. I can give it right back to you. Well, it's interesting. The government lets me drink, but my own wife won't let me drink, and the date night is officially ruined. This went on for months until one day she shared with me growing up in, in a home where alcohol was abused. 
and never knowing what you were going to get when you walked into the house and the chaos. Well, that settled that issue there. Why? I am not going to exchange my wife for a glass of wine. I love her. Because I love her, that regulates my freedoms. You with me on that? If you flaunt your freedoms with no regard for anyone else, you have created the greatest sin you can create, and it is the sin of not loving. Love is the speed limit of freedom. Let's go home on this one. So how do we use our freedoms? Verses 16 to 26 is my favorite passage in all of the scripture. When I was in college, I would read this passage during a season in college every single morning before I would go to school. Love this text. Even to this day, I've memorized verses 16 through 26, and I pray through it at least once a week. It is a phenomenal passage of scripture. He now talks about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. He says, but I say, walk, walk, walk by the Spirit. That word walk, it is Paul's writing in Greek. It is the Greek word peripateo. The idea of this word peripateo, Paul uses it figuratively, not by literally talking about walking, but, but it's the idea of behavior. It is the idea of conduct. Here's what he's saying. I want you to submit the totality of your life under the lordship of the Holy Spirit. That when you got saved, God put himself inside of you and gave you the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul would say to the Corinthians, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now watch this. We've got to decipher this text in context. In context, he is talking about how to steward our freedoms. We've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit controls us. And if you're a believer, you can never lose the presence of the Spirit, but you can lose His power. My boys and I are known for playing basketball in our backyard well into the night, well into the darkness. Well, how does that happen? We have on the side of our house what's called a motion detection light. Now, the interesting thing about this is power is, al- is always available, but it is not always experienced. If I want to experience the power of that motion detection light, uh, we'll just walk past it. It'll detect our motion, and there's light. You have the Holy Spirit, which means you have all the power you need. But that power is not always experienced. That power goes out when you walk in the flesh, when you walk in sin. If you want to actualize the light of the power of the Spirit of God, you must submit to His control. Now let's wrap up here. I want to get very personal and pastoral with you. What does the Holy Spirit do? Now verse 17 is a stunning statement. He says in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. I, I didn't see this until this week as I'm studying. I've been quoting this passage for years. But will you just make note of that phrase, the desires of the spirit? Stop right there. The Holy Spirit has desires. Wow. The Holy Spirit in you has desires. Now, what are those desires? Look with me at John chapter 16, Jesus speaking, verse 13. 
When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak in his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Here's his desire, verse 14. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Holy Spirit's inside of you. He's got desires. What is that desire? The Holy Spirit desires to do what glorifies Christ. Now I'm back at your neighborhood. Paul says, be careful how to steward your freedoms. Much of life is lived in the gray. Should I drink alcohol? Should I not? Is it okay to smoke this cigar? Should I not? Um, You know, all these freedoms. What, What do I do with this money? that God's given to me. All these incredible freedoms. Do I buy this second home in Tahoe or not? All these freedoms. Paul says, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides you. He will speak to you. Watch it now. And you'll know it's the Holy Spirit because whatever he tells you to do will not be in contradiction to Christ. In fact, whatever he tells you to do will position you to give Christ even more glory. Let me show you how this works. I've been preaching since the age of 17, so I've been preaching for almost uh, 40 years, 28 years to be exact. Um, No, thank you. Uh, Went went off to Bible college, got training, and then right after Bible college, um, you know, all my father's friends, as a way of saying thank you to my father, they start putting me on airplanes, flying me all over the place. And immediately, I'm telling you, immediately the Holy Spirit said something to me that I've, I've, I've kept true to. He says... Do not charge for preaching the gospel. Now watch this. Is there a verse that says I shouldn't charge for preaching the gospel? No. Uh, Now, I should take compensation, which is what I do. There's verses that say that. Don't muzzle the ox. The workman is worthy of his hire. So if someone invites me to come preach, if I can do it, my assistant sends them uh, a note. um, And just, hey, he he expects an honorarium, but I, I don't charge. I don't charge. Um, so every time I open up an envelope, uh, a check, uh, there's, there's a surprise. Sometimes it's a great surprise and sometimes it ain't so great. <laughs> I remember preaching somewhere and they gave me $22, $22. Now my biggest question was, how'd you come up with 22? Like 20, I can understand 25. I can understand how did you end on 22? And I've been at this thing long enough to know. Um, I can always tell when it ain't going to be a good check because typically they'll, my host will preface it by saying, now, you know, Reverend, we can't pay for the gospel. And then I open the check and I want to be like, well, can you try? Can you, can you try? Can you try to pay for the gospel? Oh goodness. I've gone too far. I've gone too far. Now watch this. I'm trying to help you. I've got good friends of mine who not only charge, but their fees are like crazy. Now watch this. The Holy Spirit has restrained me in an area that he has not restrained others. Here's our problem. Our problem is we want to take what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and make that as a rule for everybody. And when that doesn't become a rule for everybody, we now start biting and devouring one another. I'm trying to help you right now. I'm trying to help you. There are things that the Holy Spirit has said to you, you can't do. 
And there are things that the Holy Spirit has said you can't do that he's told other people you can do. Now, when he tells you not to do something and you see your neighbor who can do it, and it's not a violation of scripture, don't judge them. Don't look down on them. Don't bite and devour them. Let me go the other way. Now, now, now let me stop right here and say this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and there is no area in your life where you are experiencing the restraint of the Holy Spirit, you ain't listening to him. If you never feel the Holy Spirit saying, you can't do that, you ain't filled with the Holy Spirit. All of us should have gray areas in our lives where the Holy Spirit says, you can't do that. Now watch this. Let me go the other way. If I'm freed in an area, and I know you aren't freed in that area, then Christian love says, I can't flaunt my freedoms in front of you. So if you come over to my house and I know that alcohol is an issue for you, I don't serve you alcohol and I don't drink in front of you. Are you getting this word today? Are, are, you, are you understanding what I'm saying in here today? Why? Because the speed limit to freedom is love. And if I love you, I don't want to be a hindrance to the work of the Spirit of God in your life. So some of you, the Holy Spirit is saying, you can't drink alcohol. You can't drink it. Others of you, the Holy Spirit said, you can. Some of you, the Holy Spirit is saying, you can't smoke a cigar. Others of you, the Holy Spirit is shrugging his shoulders like, yeah, if you want to get the humidor, that's fine. It's got to be love that regulates it. Now, listen, we're setting the atmosphere in this place. God's going to fill every seat in this house. But before he can fill every seat, I think we got to work through some things. And I just believe God ain't playing games. And this cannot be a legalistic, self-righteous place, nor can it be a place given to license where you do what you want to do. I think God is recalibrating this place. And he's getting our house in order. Worship team, come on. I'm, I'm, re- I'm, I'm ready to go home. Listen, listen, listen. When you go in for surgery, doctor uses a scalpel. How he wields that scalpel is a matter of life and death. If he's careless with it, it'll do irreparable damage to you. You could die. But if he's careful with it, it'll bring healing. Christian freedom is a scalpel. Each of us has one. If you're careless with it, it'll do damage to the body of Christ. If you're careful with it, it'll bring life. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He was free. In fact, Jesus says, don't you know 
at any given moment, I got a legion of angels on speed dial. I can come off this bad boy whenever I feel like it. He was free. But aren't you glad Jesus didn't use his freedom any old willy-nilly kind of way? But he hung on that cross and what kept him on the cross was the nails of love. He loved you and I so much that he didn't use his freedoms for his own selfish means. But you and I are going to heaven because Jesus stewarded his freedoms carefully. And in some way, shape or form, he calls us to be that way with one another. So I want to pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray. God's been speaking in this place today. Would you just take a few moments right now and just confess maybe areas of legalism or license where either you've been losing your freedom or abusing your freedom. Would you confess those to God right now all over this room? you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, we are making a call, not into rules, not into regulations. We're making a call to freedom. For Paul says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ freed us for freedom. Jesus would say it himself, that he has come to give us freedom. He's come to give us liberty. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that no one would leave here without knowing the freedom that you, through your son Jesus, has come to provide. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would, yeah, there it is, set the captives free. For whom the son sets free is free indeed. Save souls today. Add to your church. Some of you are here today and you would call yourself a Christian, but you don't have a good church home. You don't have a place that is rooted in the scriptures. We'd love to be your church family, and you'd like to take a step towards covenant partnership with us. This call is for you.